This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Yep. It's It Could Happen Here. A podcast about things falling apart and some other stuff occasionally. I'm Robert Evans. Welcome to the show. Today, uh, our guests, uh, fresh off their new hit movie uh, by Paramount, Garrison Davis. Uh, what? And, and, yeah, what, what? What? I'm doing like a, like a thing. Okay. Chris, Garrison, Garrison's lost the thread. Why don't you pick it up? I, I also have lost the thread, so yeah, here's been, new this one. Been, this has been very mm-hmm. confusing for part yeah. two of, of an episode. <laughs> it's just absolutely yeah, well, baffling. Look, you want things to not be confusing. You have somebody else introduce your podcast. That's just the way it goes. Noted. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, w- w- welcome to part two of the Atlanta shooting. Um, we are back with actually less Atlanta this time, but more shooting oh good <laughs> sorry <laughs> this is a very absurd 
<laughs> it really is. <laughs> we found oh, ourselves in. <laughs> dear God. I, just a normal day at work. <laughs> Take it away, Chris. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got this. You got this. We believe in you. So th- there's there's a tendency, I think, among Asian American writers where when we get confronted with what are you know considered quote unquote Asian American stories, uh, there's almost inevitably an autobiographical pivot that happens like at some point in the piece. Um, Mei Zhong, the the author of the Vanity Fair piece I mentioned last episode, that's been a major source for both these episodes. Uh, does it in her piece? So do I mean like dozens and dozens and dozens of Asian American writers who are, you know, much more accomplished and talented than I am. And like I get it. I, I don't blame them for it. I think it's a powerful way to anchor a story and to understand a story. And I also think that it's why we miss like half of the story that we, when we talk about things, because, you know, the, 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 the audio autobiographical focus has this tendency to, to narrow the scope into looking at just sort of the U S and this story and the story of Asian Americans in general isn't just a story about sort of a minority in the U.S. or about American imperialism. It's about Asia itself. And here especially, it's about China and Korea, to a lesser extent Japan. And, you know, the, the, the histories of these places have as much to do with why the people who died in Atlanta were in those rooms on that day as Christian purity culture does. And, you know... By, by, by actually looking at this, we, we get to introduce another key player in this horror show who only sort of appeared tangentially in part one, which is capitalism, because capitalism is about to show up and make just all of this monumentally worse. Yeah, it's kind of like Steven Seagal in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think more much more active than Steven Seagal, but well, some, yeah, some he can barely move. Yeah. yeah, capitalism unfortunately moves at an incredibly relentless pace. Yeah, capitalism's knees are in incredible shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 this 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 brings us back to Atlanta itself. Dao Youfeng died a hero. In the final moments of her life, as shots rang across Young's Asian massage, she motioned for Marcus Leone, still half naked on the massage table, to stay still and wait for her to walk in front of him before he dived behind the massage table. By covering Leon's movement as she opened the door, she sacrificed her life to save the life of a man she'd met just minutes before. Her reward, in typical American fashion, was a bullet in the head. It took six days for her family in China to realize that she'd been killed. By village custom, the remains of an unmarried woman who left the village could not re-enter it to be buried. Her body thus Jesus. lay unclaimed in a morgue for 19 days before she was buried in the land of her killer at a funeral attended entirely by strangers. Marcus Leone, the man Dao Yongfeng sacrificed her life to save, was forced to return to work at FedEx just three days after surviving the massacre. Ooh. The sound of the packages he dropped at his delivery run sounded like gunshots. He quit soon after. Yeah. There is no justice in this world, only an unending parade of horror, the details of which are somehow each worse than the last. <laughs> and it is... Yeah, and th- this is, I think, what I wanted to sort of, what I wanted to talk about in this episode, which is that, like, it's not just that there was a shooting, it's that each element of why everyone is there is a, a its own successive horror story, and 
the conditions that like produce this horror are not, you know, they're not just the conditions that produce Robert Aaron Long. They're not just the conditions that produce the shooter. They are the conditions that produce Dao Feng, who spent almost her entire life as a migrant worker supporting a family whose most pressing concern was attempting to marry her off. And and I think it's worth tracing out these conditions and how they develop because uh, a 12-year-old girl drops out of middle school to work at a factory 250 miles away and then eventually is gunned down by an American racist is not how the future of Asia was supposed to go. Like, you know, I... I, I... I don't yeah, have much I love would for imagine Mao. not. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't have much love for Mao, but I don't, I don't think if you showed Mao this, he would be like, oh my god, this is the future that I wanted for my people. Like, this... Th- things have gone very badly wrong, and I think to understand how we got to this hell, we need to go back to another hell, which is the beginning of the Korean War. Mm. And, you know, we- we've talked about the effects that the Korean War had on Korean women in the last episode, but I think there's a few other things that are worth emphasizing here. One of which is that the absolute devastation that the war wrought on North and South Korea is incalculable. I mean, the the effects of this are still felt to this day. It was a utterly devastating war. Um, But it, it also has sort of more subtle effects on sort of politics and economics of of the region because what one of the you know one of the very important things about this war is that the u.s is fighting in east asia and this means that the u.s is going to leave an enormous army in south korea which has its own military and sort of political and economic consequences and you know those troops are still there to this day like technically fighting a war which has never formally ended and, you know, we'll come back a bit to this later, but this has enormous implications for the entire region. Um, I've, I've talked on Bastards before about, like, you know, about some of the effects this has. But, you know, Korea and later Vietnam are a major, like, the, the wars the U.S. fights there are a major factor behind the industrialization of Japan, which sees, you know, enormous U.S. investment as part of this attempt to, like, shorten American supply lines by exporting their military industrial complex to East Asia. You know, we've talked about the Japanese angle of this, but South Korea is likewise industrialized by American capital for, you know, pretty much the same reason. Um, you know, and, 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 th- and this goes on to the extent that, like, Korean troops, like, fight on the side of the U.S. in Vietnam. And, you know, so, and South Korea's production base proves a sort of a pivotal military asset for the U.S. war machine in the East. Now, the, the thing I think, and I think, I think that part of it, like, is understood decently well because... You know, if you if you if you if you, do, if you like know literally anything about this region, you've you've seen the effects of this stuff. But the part of it I think is less understood is that in China, this the war has a, a, a similar effect, which is that communist leadership fights this war, right? And it immediately becomes clear to them that there is a looming possibility they're going to have to fight the U.S. again. And if they're going to have to fight the U.S. again, they need an actual sort of modern industrial base to fight a war against the U.S. And this, you know, th- this leads to sort of militarization, industrialization, and you you get a look at uh, two very different kinds of state-led developments, uh, which I'm I'm going to call uh, state-led development corruption and state-led state-led development socialism question mark, which sort of which sort of play out in China and Korea. Um, and you know, I I think it's 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 worth actually talking about this because. Both of these systems are essentially going to collapse. 
And when they do, they are going to send an enormous number of people, both in China and Korea, you know, spreading it, spreading it across the world, seeking like any kind of sort of economic salvation. And a lot of the people who are killed in Atlanta are in Atlanta because of these because of these crises. Yeah. So, so the the first of these is the Chaebol system in Korea, which is sort of informally established by the dictator Park Chung Hee as like the core of his plan for economic development, and it generates a a number of extremely powerful family owned mega conglomerates with intimate ties to the state and these sort of various political factions. And and these conglomerates, which control just vast sections of the Korean economy, I mean, like 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 to this day, Samsung, which is the the largest the remaining chaebols, like. I think I think they their their total percentage of the GDP of Korea is like seventeen percent or something. It's like it's it's absolutely absurd. Wow, um, Jesus. Yeah, like and and, and 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 like and the thing is that you know it's sort of it's amazing about this is that like the the tables are much weaker than they used to be. Um, for reasons that we will get to in a bit, and you know when 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 they're founded when they're sort of at the height of their powers, they have you know the. the they're 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 established with three goals. Um, there's an attempt to develop the economy. Uh, you know, f- there, there's an attempt to sort of to fuel. There's an attempt to sort of fuel the American and South Korean war machines. And the third thing they're trying to do is to make a lot of people in the government, and their allies, indescribably rich. And uh, it works sort of amazingly, which is a, a, a weird thing to say about a development regime started by a military dictatorship, but. They have, they have an enormous amount of mil of of American capital military aid, and like they they do successfully develop. They kill an enormous number of people in the process, but you know they do it. On 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 the other side, you have Chinese state-led development, and this is also about economic development and fueling the military. But you know the goal here is to create an economic base for socialism, and this does not work. Um. There, there, there's a number of sort of complicated reasons for this. The, the, the simplest one is that China just doesn't get the kind of investment technology transfers South Korea gets until like way later. Um, but the, the other really important element of this for this story is about the urban-rural divide. And this is another thing I've talked about bastards like on I've talked about on bastards a bit, but I think it's worth going into the details a little bit because otherwise, a lot of the stuff that's going to happen. That is, you know, the 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 the, the part of the story that is directly sending twelve year olds off to a factory in Shenzhen, like, don't make any sense without it. So, to to, to make a very complicated and shifting set of economic programs like as simple as possible, um, Chinese industrial policy during what's sort of called the socialist period is about extracting grain from the countryside and fueling and funneling it into urban industrial developments. And you know to to get it to get a like understanding of what we're talking about here, so the the CCP is essentially deliberately underdeveloping the countryside in favor of developing cities, and and this is this is explicit state policy. Um, from from nineteen fifty three to nineteen eighty five, eighty percent of the Chinese population is doing agricultural labor, but agriculture receives less than ten percent of state investments over the same period. So they are like really, really, really incredibly not funneling any resources back into into rural areas. Yeah, I mean, is there a degree to that? Is there a degree of that that is maybe related to 
Like I know in the USSR, a lot of the early left-wing resistance to the Soviet regime came from rural areas. Um, is, is it anything to do with that? Like, is it kind of a desire to to avoid developing these places that are less controllable? No, and th- this, this is the sort of interesting thing about China is that, I mean, okay, so the, the, the CCP originally has an urban base, but they, they managed to get their entire urban base killed. So when, oh, okay. when well, Mao, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll yeah, have a problem. Yeah, it's, yeah. And this is, this, this is the cause of like, like this, this is, this is one of the reasons for the Sino-Soviet split. Like this is basically like Stalin and Trotsky are bickering and their bickering gets like a million Chinese communists killed. And that means that, you know, this, this, this is, this is where the sort of rise of Mao comes in because Mao is a, Mao's a peasant organizer. And once right. the entire rural party is dead, it's like, well, okay, so now we have a peasant base. And they have they actually have a really they have they have like a basically unprecedented level of of sort of buy-in from the countryside. But the problem is that the party just isn't interested in in rural development because the thing that they want is they want to be able to develop military power and they want to be able to develop like heavy industry. And those aren't things that they think you can do in the countryside. And so their strategy is just to just I mean, just literally, it's just pure grain extraction from the countryside and then using that to, to fuel industrial development, which they're doing for, I mean, largely ideological reasons. But it also does have to do with the fact that China, like, like people, people talk a lot about how, like, you know, the communist revolution in Russia happens in, like, the least developed country in Europe. And it's like, yeah, but, like, Russia had, like, several times more industrial capacity during Russian revolution than China does after the war. So this is a country that is like a complete economic backwater. And so, you know, this, this, this is part of what they're doing. Although it doesn't, it doesn't work. And, you know, I should mention, there's one other thing that they're doing here, which is that, so their base in the peasantry is fairly solid, but the other thing they have to use this grain budget for is to buy off this like incredibly militant working class that they've inherited because these people are on strike like constantly and this is this is this is a really serious problem for the CCP and so they 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 you know they have all these welfare programs they have all of this sort of these resources that they're they're paying they're putting into sort of buying off this class and the result of this is you have just incredible rural poverty because like one one of the things that happens here is I guess I guess you call them benefits, but things like, things like housing, education, like medical care, this stuff is all distributed like through your work and through your household registration. And so, you know, if 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 you're someone who has a job in the countryside, you're, you you the resources that you're getting are are also from the countryside, and that means that you have just these like awful underfunded services. And your benefits are terrible, and even if you can somehow get a job in the city, which is really hard because China also has these like really intense internal like immigration restrictions. So like if 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 you're like in another province that you're not supposed to be, like you you will get deported back to your home province. There there's all these these really tight controls. And this means that like if you're in a rural area, like your livelihood is tied to your family unit in a way that's like not happening anywhere near as intensely in the cities. And and when I say your livelihood is tied to your family unit uh, what I mean is that, like, other than this, like, brief, like, token attempt they made to socialize, like, housework, reproductive labor, and the Great Leap Forward, uh, men and the state are just, like, entirely dependent on uncompensated housework and production by women, which... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's not just a China thing. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, it's like, oh, hey, this sounds like a modern system. And like, yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, the socialists, like, ideologically are claiming to be better than this. So I'm holding them through their own standards, giving them just like sure. a D on this because this no, is unfair. Like, yeah, I mean, like, like, I think this is really one of, like, you know, okay, so they failed to end capitalism. But, like, I think if, if you look at, like, what is the other great failure of the Chinese Revolution, it's that they never dealt with the patriarchy. And this means, that, like, you know, when, when Mao is saying stuff about, like, women hold up half the sky, like, what, what he actually means is that, like, women's labor is holding up, like, 70% of the budget and they're getting, like, 20% of the pay. And... This this is extremely important for reasons that we will get to in a second, because it turns out if your entire economy is based on patriarchy, uh, really bad things start happening in terms of your gender politics, which uh, is a thing that has never has literally never happened in any other regime. And we should not at all take any lessons from this about how our own economy works. It's great. It's completely fine. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The, the other thing that we need to talk about is the CCP's just utter full-scale war against its urban workers. And th- this is not the kind of like abstract class war that you hear leftists talking about all the time. That's, you know, about like wages, unionization, and so forth. Like, this is an actual war that is resolved by the by just the PLA, the Chinese army, just butchering the Chinese working class. And th- this comes to a head in the Cultural Revolution. and. You know, I, I I have I have a whole rant about the Cultural Revolution that I will do sometime. That's not now, but the short version of it is that one of the things that happens in the Cultural Revolution is that the CCP crushes these sort of rebel worker factions, and they kill a million people, like from 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 okay, from these. Well, that is a lot factions. of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's really, it's really like. It, it, like it, it, comparing it like to the scale of like the great anti-communist purges like this is i i think it i think it's actually more i think it's like 1.1 million people i think it's more people than than suhardo killed it's like well, well there you go see there's some left-right unity yeah <laughs> well i mean mao, mao mao undisputed greatest anti-communist has, has the highest yeah, number I mean, of communism kills well <laughs> i don't know let's let's i mean joseph stalin's in that running that's Look, true you've got a you've got a <laughs> You've got a couple of titans <laughs> battling it out here. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult it's 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 a difficult choice, but yeah, I mean, like th- they are like like the, the CCP is literally fighting a war against against the servant workers, and like this is e- even by like the mid seventies, th- there are there are moments where the army is sending like tens of thousands of work of tens of thousands of troops like into cities to break up strike waves, and this is this is an enormous problem for the CCP. You know, okay, like it's an enormous problem for them politically because. It turns out that being a communist party and then the thing that you're doing all of the time is sending soldiers to shoot workers is really bad for your political system ideologically. Well, okay, that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't go great for them. And, and the the other problem they have is, uh, you know, this this creates this like this incredible militarization of society and this leads to stagnation and there's all this corruption that's happening. But the other problem is like, Okay, so if you're like a cadre like planner, right, and there's all these people on strike, uh, you need them to not be on strike because you need them to produce stuff for your like central planning production schedules. And so all all of these like cadre planners start being like, okay, these workers keep going on strike. Like, where where can we get labor that won't do this? And they start looking at the countryside, and they start going like, beard stroke. Can we send this over here? And meanwhile, like. The actual rural, like ruralites, are fed up with just being treated like shit, and they start decollectivizing their farms because, well, okay, there's a lot of reasons why they're doing this, but they they essentially start forming these things that become called uh, town and village enterprises, which are these like the simplest explanation of it is that they they basically start for- forming capitalist companies and trying to make money, but the ownership structures are a bit different because they're like you know it'll be like a village right and like the village like technically collectively owns this like company that makes tires or something right and this is 
where you start getting markets coming back to China. And the CCP looks at this and goes like, yeah, sure, this is fine. Uh, this, this won't stop our communism thing because we're having budget shortfalls right now. And if we let someone else do this work, we don't have to pay for it. And these, so the, the, these town and village enterprises, which are called TVEs, like mostly what they're doing is they're like selling parts and stuff to like these giant state-owned enterprises, which are, you know, your state-owned enterprises are things that are building like bikes and like tractors and refrigerators. So they're like, you know, they're selling them like wheels or like refrigerator parts. And this is, this is the thing that becomes the core of the Chinese economy, particularly in Daoyufeng's home province of Guangdong, because but Guangdong is a really unique, well, okay, a really unique province, I guess, is a thing you can say about literally every province, but Guangdong is particularly unique in this period because it's right next to Hong Kong. And this means that, the, I mean, the, the, there's always been sort of like capital kind of through really shady black markets and like people passing each other like notes under dinner tables and extra, like all, all of the weird like diplomacy stuff that like. Uh, like Kissinger and Nixon get up to is happening through these like weird back channels that a lot of which are running through Hong Kong. There's a lot of stuff that's been sort of running through there. And when this stuff starts to happen, um, you, uh, Guangdong gets these special economic zones and th this becomes sort of the, the, the prototype for China's like eventual sort of capital centric, like export development model. Um, Guangdong is like, they're, they're literally, they're, 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 they're taking like foreign capital from Hong Kong and they're using it to produce goods for the market. And this is the world that Dao Yongfeng and Xiao Jitan grew up in. Um, it, it, it's a world where, on the one hand, there's enormous economic growth, but on the other hand, like all of the safety nets that Chinese socialism have put in place are just like being completely destroyed. And everyone is once again dependent on wages to survive. And it's also an incredibly deeply patriarchal world, you know, and we, we've seen this already, right, with Dao Feng's village just, like, refusing to bury her body because she's not married. And, you know, th this, is, this is something that's only gotten worse as the sort of, as the 80s wear on, you get into the reform period, you have simultaneously, you have the one-child policy, which is this incredibly draconian state-enforced destruction of bodily autonomy. And it also serves this really horrific role in devaluing girls because girls are seen as having less economic value than boys. And so you get all these things where like you get these, you get targeted, like gender targeted abortions. There are these mass sterilizations that happen. And yeah, it's this just enormous patriarchal engine and it sucks. And there's also, there's a return to Confucianism as well. Because like, and this is one of the things is like the most infuriating about this because like, like eighty percent of like what the original Chinese Revolution was about was like, hey, Confucianism sucks. Like this, this incredible like reactionary patriarchal ideology is in fact bad. And then, like, forty years in, they're like, hold on, wait, what if we bring this shit back? And it is, it is, it is extremely bad. And, you know, and it, it serves as a sort of like like this pacifying patriarchal ideology that they're using to sort of hold the family unit together because the family unit are like, so a lot of the, the firms in this period, are, they're just like owned by families, right? And, you know, you, 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 there's, there's a lot of sort of similarities here between if you look at your like, you know, your, your sort of like right wing, like 
culturally Christian, like small business owner families. And you look at this and it's like, huh, we've, we've, we've redeveloped the wheel here. We, we have once again created the patriarchal death engine. Yay. Woo. It's, it's great. It's yeah. And this, this is basically, th- this is the world that Daniel Fong like grows up in. And this is the period where the, the old urban working class is just hammered to pieces so that the state and capital could just gorge itself on its welfare benefits. And the new Chinese working class is born. And this migrant working class, its vanguard are these women who are given two imperatives by their families. And these, these, these imperatives are given, I mean, literally to Dao Yongfeng, like Dao Yongfeng, like directly. And I, I think indirectly to um, Xiao Jitan. Well, okay, so like with Dao Yongfeng, we, like, we literally have the quotes of this, right? Like she, she is told by her family, get married and find a job. And Xiao Chitan gets married off at 20, but a, a middle school Dao Yongfeng like drops out of school and just goes to work in a factory in Shenzhen. And this... Like th- these are the women who built modern China. Like th- these are these are literally these are the people who turned Shenzhen from a tiny rural town into a world class manufacturing hub that is literally larger than any city in North America. And th- I mean, this happens in the span of like a couple of decades, and they get jack shit for it. Like the the wages they are working for. Like Dao Yongfang's brother is working on a rubber rubber plantation. He's making five dollars a month. And, you know, in, in Dayong Fong's case, like, the other thing she's dealing with is literally these constant demands for her family to get married. And Fong just refuses. They, they try to do it as a young adult. She just goes, no. And they try to they try it again. Like, at, when she's, like, 38, they, like, they bring her back to her village and are like, pick a husband. And she just goes, no. And she just, like, they, they keep showing your guys. And she just keeps going, like, no. And, you know, what, what she does instead is charter her own path by managing to secure a visa to the u.s where yeah this 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 uh, so Dayong fong's like is a migrant worker for ages and eventually i think like 2016 she moves to the u.s to support her family again from afar Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. 
I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's, there's only, there's one more piece of macroeconomics that we need to talk about before we can follow Daniel Fong to the massage parlor, and this one is going to get like everyone else to the scene of this massacre. So w- w- when we last left our uh, Korean corruption chables, uh business, business was booming, and in, in the early '90s, business is like even more booming. It is this is this is the best I've ever done economically, and the reason it's the best I've ever done economically is because. Is is by is is in, in large part because of the thing that I am just perpetually cursed by when I do research for this show, which is the Plaza Accords. Um, I've I've talked about this before, but I will once again do a brief summary of this, which is that. So in in the nineteen eighties, as people probably are aware, the U.S. the U.S. manufacturing economy is dying, and this is a real problem for Reagan because everyone's like, Reagan, why does the economy suck? And his solution to this is just basically at gunpoint forcing Japan and West Germany to like let the U S devalue its currency relative to the yen and the Deutschmark. And it's like, okay, this is a, this is a boring technocratic thing, but the thing it actually does is if, if your currency is weaker than another currency, it's easier for you to like sell them, to have an export economy and sell them stuff. And this sets off just like an incredibly catastrophic chain of events where the U S manufacturing actually comes back because you know, hey, oh, hey, look, the dollar's the dollar's weaker now. We can produce shit again, but it just, you know, it 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 combines with this like structural weakness. Japan's economy, Japan's economy just implodes, and Japan goes, okay, fuck it. How do we keep the economy going without man- manufacturing sector? And their solution is invest in other countries and do real estate speculation. And, you know, okay, so obviously nothing bad ever happens happens when you do real estate speculation. The Japanese economy was completely fine until it collapsed like five years later. Um, but th- this this has a series of effects. Uh, one of them is that the Korean Chables, you know, those, those, those companies that are doing like literally the best business I've ever done. The reason they're doing this is because of Japanese credit and the fact that like 
the, 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 there's more complicated currency bullshit going on, but basically like the, the value, the value of the Korean currency was pegged to the dollar. And so when the dollar's value decreased, uh, the won also decreased. And so, you know, this, this, this gives Korea like a big manufacturing competitive manufacturing edge, but then, you know, Japan goes under and they start to lose credit. And then the U S in 1995 does the reverse Plaza Accords where they just reverse the thing that they did before. And so now the dollar is incredibly strong again. Uh, every other currency is really weak relative to it. And this just like, this just obliterates like every economy in East Asia. Like they all just implode. Thailand goes under and most of these countries like have never recovered. Like Thailand in particular, like the, the uh, I mean, South Korea kind of does, but it's basically the only one. All the rest of the economies are just obliterated. And, you know, th- th- this, this, this is the, the, the Asian economic crisis. And, you know, saddled with, like, enormous debts and declining profits, like, these chables start just collapsing left and right. And South Korea just is just on the edge of bankruptcy. And right on cue, the IMF shows up and makes everything worse. Because, it's, it, yeah, it's great. It's the IMF. <laughs> they, yeah, they, 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 do, they do normal IMF stuff. And they, you know, they impose a bunch of austerity measures. And this just, this annihilates the Korean middle class. Like, it just, it just gets obliterated. This is... This this is just this death knell, and it it also it has you know it has a lot of effects. But one of the other ones is the Korean labor movements is really severely damaged by just all the economic devastation that's happening around them. And the product of this is just as sort of rural poverty drives Daeyongfeng and Chajitan from their villages. The economic collapse drives Hyungjung Kim Grant, who's one of the other people who died in in this shooting from Korea to the U S and this is something that this is, there's, there's something about the U S here. Well, okay. There's something about the U S is that its economy is incredibly strong and the dollar is incredibly strong. And even people who come to the U S for other reasons, uh, two of the women who wind up here, like are here basically because they married someone. And, but even that, you know, they, they, like there's a couple of people, like they, they marry someone, then they, they, they break up and divorce them, but they stay in the U S they stay in the U S because like the, the, the median American income is like three times the median American income in China. And that's like now. And so, you know, and the, the combination of that and the strength of the American, the American dollar sort of, it brings, it brings the brave, the desperate and just the love struck to our shores. Um, now, if you remember LCS Hernandez Ortiz, who's who's the man that uh, Long like shot while he was on his knees begging for his life, um, Hernandez Ortiz was in that mall because he was wiring money home to his family in Guatemala, and you know we we could do another entire story here about Guatemala and the United Fruit Company and these the U.S. back coups and genocides, but I think the thing about this story is that every atrocity is tied to every other atrocity you know and it, it creates this web of death that we sort of you know we, we euphemistically call it capitalism or society or reality and the survivors of this are just flung from meat grinder to meat grinder desperately looking for a new life in a new country and you know they get there and the country just buries them instead now, Yongfeng was also, you know, constantly sending money home to her family when she arrives in the U.S. She, I mean, she's supporting like 10 members of her family off of a salary that is like, I mean, 
like she, she's supporting ten members of her family off of the salary that you get from massage work. Right. Which, yeah, like, I I think that this is like like again I think something like people don't understand about the U.S. is that like yeah American wages are low, but the dollar is so strong that even like like really like small amounts of money that you can send like small amounts of money in dollars you can send back home have this enormous economic impact and there is there is an enormous like an absolutely enormous sort of network of of immigrants in the u.s who are here basically to work and to send remittances back home and this is i mean this is like this is an enormous part of just how the the economy of the philippines works because of yep yeah a bunch of the just incredibly fucked up stuff that the marcoses did um yeah and you know, for for Asian women in particular, once they get here, they're often drawn to spa work because, I mean, there's there, there's a lot of reasons we'll get into in a second. But these spas, these spas are in some sense just like a microcosm of the U.S. Like the pay is good, and the people doing the work often like prefer it to other jobs that are accessible to immigrants. Well, okay, they're accessible to immigrants with their levels of, of political and economic capital and social connections, which is usually really not that large. But the problem is, you know, as as with everything in the U.S., it's also often dangerous. Like the, the, the particular kind of sort of exposure and performance of femininity that you need to do this leaves these workers incredibly vulnerable to stalkers. And, you know, they, they face sort of constant like racial misogynist abuse. Um, Butterfly, which is a... a Toronto-based sex worker group released a report that said that half of all massage parlor workers reported some kind of threat to their safety at work. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's workplace is both incredibly dangerous, and then you know, and when 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 we're saying like threat to their workplace, that doesn't that's not even like that's not even counting the police. And if you've read anything about this, you'll read people saying things like massage parlors face constant police raids, and this is true, but. If anything, it understates how bad it actually is because uh, like Asian massage parlors are subjected to two different kinds of police raids that just happen constantly. Um, I'm, I'm going to read a thing from oh, BuzzFeed. Cool. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's really fun. Uh, from, from 2016 to 2020, 94% of people arrested for unauthorized practice of a profession for any job requiring a license in New York uh, were Asian and 96% were women, according to data from the New York uh, Division of Criminal Justice Services. And while prostitution is a misdemeanor defense, unauthorized practice of a profession, which is the charge that covers unlicensed massage, along with roles like veterinary medicine and engineering, is a felony that carries higher penalty, including up to four years of jail time. Now, I'm I'm no expert, but that sure does sound like racism and misogyny. Yep. Well, because yep. like, yeah, there's an argument to be made. Like if you're if you're moonlighting as a bridge engineer and you're not qualified. Yeah, sure. Maybe hey, that's well, a Robert, felony. But Rob, <laughs> you're really just calling me out on, on the pod. Just right. Right in the. Now, Garrison, we've agreed not to talk about all of those people who died when that bridge collapsed that you built in Florida on that university campus. Nothing of value was lost. <laughs> no, it was Florida. Like that's why the, that's why the DA is not coming after you. <laughs> yeah, U.S. government not pressing charges. It's Florida. Mm-hmm. So, okay, y- y- back to y- back to back to the racism yeah, and misogyny. Back, back, back to racism and misogyny. It's like okay, so so you you have these raids that are like literally only like targeted against Asian massage workers. 
And then on top, and, you know, so that, that's type one. And then the second type of raid is that the other thing that happens at these places constantly are, uh, are these anti-prostitution and anti-trafficking raids. And I'm putting both of those in enormous quotations. Because, heavy, heavy quotation yeah, mark use. You know, I, this is, okay, I, I'm yeah. going to go on a side tangent rant here, which is that like, okay, so like every single person who does reporting on this, and I don't know if this is like a journalistic standards thing, but like even the good reporting on this, they like almost always have like a section that says, uh, oh, the, 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 the Georgia, like, Georgia's like resources on sex trafficking says that uh uh salon uh, Asian salons are a a place where there's a bunch of sex trafficking and it's like mm-hmm. really like this 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 is what you're putting in your article about a bunch of people getting murdered by a racist dude like th- this is the thing that that you're gonna put in here and, and you know and and, and like th- this this is sort of. Like all of that stuff that I talked about, like last episode about Robert Aaron Long, like all of the objectification and the racism and the horophobia and that like mixture of like desire and loathing, like the cops have this, but like also the journalists who are writing about this have this stuff, and the, even the people who don't are sort of just like picking up on the on the sort of like avian racism. And so you get all this coverage that's just focused on like trying to figure out if there was sex work going on here, and you know, and like as I talked about last episode, like this is really dangerous because. Exposing people, exposing these sites to police investigation means you get more of these stings, and you know, like we we, we mentioned at the beginning that uh, uh, Da Yongfeng, like no none, no one she knew showed up to her funeral, and the reason that no one she knew showed up to her funeral is that uh, no one wanted to be at a place where there could potentially be cops, so they wouldn't be deported. Right. Which yeah. How could like, anyone who knew her come to her funeral? Because yeah. that would be. Yeah. Well, and her her brother wanted to come, but the the like travel to the U.S. was was expensive enough that he was just like, yeah, we can't do this. Oof. And you know, and, and like, and I, I that the, these these anti trafficking anti prostitution raids are so common that two of the Atlanta victims have been arrested as part of raids. Like before this, and even though both of them are innocent, uh, Soon Chung Park was convicted of criminal trespassing anyways, again, which is like one of the most insane things I've ever heard in my life because she was arrested at the place where she worked and they convicted her of criminal trespassing because this entire system is made up of just like Robert Aaron Long levels of, of racism, but they have it, they have a legal outlet to do it so they don't have to just go murder people. And and sometimes they still do murder people. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, we we talked about very generous with that sometimes, Garrison. Yeah. I mean, there 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 there's a really horrific story of uh there was there was a a Chinese sex worker who the NYPD like repeatedly attempted to force her at gunpoint to to have sex with them and she refused and they so and you know because because she refused uh the NYPD kept doing raids on her. And eventually she died because she jumped out a window trying to escape one of the raids. Oh, God. Because these people uh-huh. are just literal monsters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, Soon Chung Park, like, she's convicted of criminal trespassing and she gets, you know, the, the sort of particular American humiliation of being forced to wear an ankle monitor that you have to pay for around your house while being under house arrest. And... I, I've, I've, 
I've talked about this with the journalists, but again, like there, this is an entire system full of Robert Aaron Longs. It's the judges, it's the prosecutors, it's the social workers, it's the journalists, it's the cops. And this is, this is an incredible level of, of systemic state violence that makes these already tenuous migrant worker communities even more vulnerable because, you know, if someone's harassing them, they can't call the cops. Because if the cops show up, it's like, oh, hey, it's good. This is this is even worse than the harassment, and that's I think where I want to want to end here today on with things that can actually be concretely done about this to help spa workers and sex workers. Um, th- there's two proposals that spa and sex workers have been backing. Uh, one of which is just ending the licensing re- licensing requirement for massages because it's it's literally only ever used to target Asian massage workers. Yeah, that seems that seems like a good call. Yeah, it's it definitely not is. the law, but oh yeah, 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 get, getting rid know, of it, get, <laughs> like, getting rid of it. Probably yeah, clarify there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, like it, this. This is my this is my like my mo- my most libertarian position is just being against like a lot of these licensing things because what's what's next? A license to make toast look, it, in your it, own it, toaster? It, it, if it's a thing that people just do all the time. Uh, and in fact, cannot be stopped from doing under any circumstances, then it shouldn't require a license to do like flying a plane, like fly exact <laughs> garrison, like flying a plane, like performing surgery, you know, um, like being a police officer, just make everybody everything, all licenses. Sorry, I've lost the thread. It's okay. I mean, well, I, I, I think the the actual thread here though, is that like, you know, okay. So like, yeah. Uh, on the one hand, in theory, it is good to have licenses that, that you know, like have have a way to tell who knows how to do something and who doesn't, right? Yeah. But the thing is, that's, yeah, that's, not, that's not what the state does. <laughs> yeah. Massage. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's massage. And like, and the thing that the state actually does, even with licenses, like, and they, 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 they do this with driver's licenses, like even, even with driver's licenses, which is the thing that like, yeah, like people should know how to drive before you put them behind like the, 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 the four wheel death machine. Like. What, what do they do with it? It's like, oh, they use it to go after undocumented immigrants because the state is just incredibly racist. And that this is the thing that's happening with, the, with these licenses is, yeah, they just they just do racism with it. Well, it's it's why you can't have like the common sense law would be like, oh, OK, well, we're going to have sex workers. So there should be some sort of system to make sure that people are getting tested for things and that basic, you know, certain safety procedures or that at least people know what safety procedures are being, you know, used at the place or whatever. Um but what it always boils down to is uh, this is an excuse for police to fuck with vulnerable people. Yeah. The thing that this brings us to is the second proposal, which is just decriminalizing sex work. Like, don't prosecute people for this. Don't send the cops after them. Just don't do it. Like, it, 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 it only ever causes violence against people who are already the, the the most marginalized people doesn't in a, actually in a help against society. trafficking either. In yeah, fact, no. it makes it makes fighting against trafficking actually harder because yep. people mm-hmm. feel not able to talk about things when they see stuff that's questionable. It's, it's. I'm, I'm sure we can do more content. Content. Um, I'm sure we can do more stuff about sex work in the future. Um, but yeah, it really should be uh, not a crime. Yeah, and and I think this is something like, you know, it's it. it, it, it it reminds me a lot of like of of the anti-trans stuff where it's like, okay, so you, you should yep, care about yep. this stuff because you should care about trans people. You should also care about this stuff because it affects people who are not trans. And this this is a this is this thing where these massage workers are like 
most of them are not sex workers and it doesn't matter at all. And it's the, 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 the splash over effects are hitting them too. And yeah, the, the consequence of that is eight people are dead. Yep. Yep. Go help your le- local sex worker organizations and go help your, help your local spa workers associations, like get rid of this licensing stuff and fight for decriminalization because this, this, this kind of shit doesn't have to happen. And we can, this is something that we actually can concretely do and win that will make an, an enormous number of people whose lives are incredibly precarious, enormously better. Yep. Okay. So we have already seen before our eyes that uh, you can do, you can do things that involve safety where the police are just useless. We, we have seen, we, we, we have seen, we have seen Zach. Wait, is his name Zach? Yeah. yeah. Zach is his name. Yeah. Yeah. But Look, we 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 we, ha- seems, we have yeah. He seems we, nice. <laughs> he rules. We have seen Bodega Zach uh, outwit, like outdo the entire police force, even after literally the guy called them to turn himself in, and Bodega Zach <laughs> still got there before they did. One so, man beat the entire <laughs> New York Police Department, this, this turned is himself in, and left his wallet and gun <laughs> at the scene. <laughs> like. You know, and again, this is this is this is this is this is a ten billion dollar police force. The thing that the thing that oh they God. mostly do is harass homeless people and sex workers. For the love of God, we don't need them. We could like literally one man could do their job for them. Uh, yeah, get get rid of them. Yeah, that sounds nice. Okay, well there we go. We did it. Happy episode, everybody. Yeah. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR.
NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes, Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.